This week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is proudly sponsored by New Wave Flow State Coffee. Coffee for creativity. I am pulling an all-nighter tonight. Like I'm in fucking college, all right? And you know what I'm drinking? Flow State Coffee from New Wave. Let's get it. Go to newwave.co slash Berman and save 10% on your order. Let me spell that for you. N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. New Wave Coffee is coffee that is blended with raw cacao and L-theanine, which is meant to naturally reduce stress and anxiety, keep you in an optimal performance mode so you can be creative and you can be productive, just like I'm doing right now, reading this copy. So again, go to newwave.co slash Berman, save yourself 10%. It helps this new budding coffee company, and it helps your boy Jeff Berman from the Berman Hour podcast cover some production costs. Win, win, win. Let's get it. All right, let's start this podcast. It's a great one. Let's get it. Hello and welcome to the Berman Hour podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. It is damn good to be with you. I have a great episode this week. I was so excited to talk to my guest, Ryan Malott from 500 Miles to Memphis, because I forgot he even existed. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just 500 Miles to Memphis has been around a long time. And I remembered them as soon as I heard the name, but I had forgotten about them. You know when you like a band and then you forget about them and I don't know, maybe 15 years later they pop up on the scene again? Yeah, well that's what happened. It was so good to connect with Ryan, it was so good to talk shop, and I think that this is a really interesting conversation about being in a band and the foils and toils and struggles of being in an independent band that tours around North America. And, uh... You know, I left it in the beginning of the interview, but Ryan was very complimentary of a certain band called Divided Heaven. So we're big fans of each other's music. I swear, I loved this band in 2007, 2008, and then I I just forgot about you know it just it just happened. I I I don't know. I I kind of moved on, and then they were kind of in a bit of an obscure existence and we get into all of that but it's so good to reconnect it's so good to hear their new record which is fantastic weight of the world one of my favorite songs of 2021 so be sure to check out 500 miles to memphis and enjoy this interview this is a good one man i'm so stoked on this anyway here's me and ryan from 500 miles to memphis let's get it Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we're like technical jargon <laughs> shit. Man, I gotta tell you, I have become a fan. Like, I did not know who Divided Heaven was until uh, we set up this interview. So I've been diving into your catalog, and I'm just like, shit, dude. Oh, I'm in thanks, love. man. From the beginning, it's like, well, he's clearly a good songwriter. And that's like clear from just like first song I listened to was 1983. And I was like, sweet, knows how to write a song. And man, just like your voice, I love a good voice. And you've got a fucking killer voice. 
Thanks, and you know man. how to do harmonies. Like, I uh, feel like that's so uh, unfortunately rare in you know independent music. Like, <sighs> well, dude, you're fucking good. You're good. I love it. First of all, thank you. Second of all, feelings mutual, and I'll ex- expand upon that in a moment. Uh, but third, I appreciate you saying that about harmonies because that is something that did not come easy to me. Yeah. It took yeah. a lot of work. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I had a really, really difficult time. It's like it, it was never problematic for me to sing the harmony. Mm-hmm. Very rarely would I enter into territory where I couldn't hit the notes, right? Sure. It yeah. was difficult for me to hear them and then track along to my lead vocal. It's as if I mm-hmm. became so acclimated, so trained even, to automatically sing along to the lead vocal, whatever it was. If I was singing along to one of my own songs or tracking one of my own songs or you know, singing along to pour some sugar on me or kickstart my heart, I just yeah. I couldn't I couldn't deviate from that. And it mm-hmm. it was like I went back and started taking vocal lessons again really to work on my ear and and how I heard sure. myself. It was a lot of work. So I greatly appreciate that very very much. Oh man, it's yeah. it, it you cannot tell that you ever had an issue with it. I mean, is it still like to this day do you still struggle with writing and singing the harmony or are you like kind of old hat at it now? I'm not old hat at it. I have a new record coming out in February and you know, because of the lockdown and, and everything, I, I did sure. extensive vocal demos at home and really, really honed in on it. But I actually bought a it's a harmonizing pedal that you plug your guitar into. So I would mm-hmm. es- I would essentially like uh, track that in, in logic and listen back to it and kind of trace it on a, a trace it on a piano so that I could see yeah. it and then do it on the guitar so I could see it from a few different dimensions. Mm -hmm. And then I would just demo the hell out of it until I felt so comfortable and my ear could pick it up right away. But so I'm still, I'm not an old hat at it in terms of my own songs. It's still quite a struggle, but I get there. That's important. But when I hear other people's songs, like I was just singing along to your song, way to the world, which is fantastic. But like, thank you. I can sing the harmony to that chorus. (laughs) <laughs> right away and i yeah, i think yeah. also the desire to want to sing harmonies and and put them on my records forced me to write more simplified choruses which is something um, that you're very good sure, at you've yeah. been good at it for nearly two fucking decades so oh thanks man. yeah but I've, I've been a fan of you guys for a long time but you guys really I think 500 Miles huh. to Memphis suffers from you're a band that people have amnesia about because you've been around for so damn long and kind of gone through different iterations where like people yeah. need to be reminded that you still exist. Like in the course of life, like everyone's going to kind of run a little bit hot and cold on what they're doing artistically, like throughout yeah. 20 years, not practically. So I, mm-hmm. I want to say like when you guys did that record on Deep Elm, I was like, ah, I, I, my friend had it in school in, in college at the time. Yeah. And it, it was like, it kind of peaked like every once in a while. It's mm-hmm. like, Oh, they're back. Oh, they're back. Oh, they're back. And then obviously <laughs> when, when you were involved with paper and plastic, but the last record that you did with paper and plastic, you had released yourself before they stepped in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, we released sunshine and shot glass with deep elm in 2007 and then we did let's see 
two or three records on our own after that. Yeah. And then we got to this Blessed Be the Damned album in 2019, and it was just like, well, shit, no one's going to release this shit. You know, like, we, our connections are just gone. Like, we're just going to fucking do it on our own. And uh, I happened to just, friend of a friend, get a hold of Vinny and just start talking to him. And I was like, look, I just want to use your distribution. Like, you don't have to sign us, but, like, just... I'll pay for everything. Just let me use your distro. Yeah. And he was just like, well, fuck, yeah, you can use my distro. I was like, but it's like, I'll just, just join the label. Like, and yeah. so, yeah, they definitely picked it up halfway through. And he has been such a huge help uh, ever since, man. Like, uh, Vinny's a great guy. And then on this new album, you know, this is our first, like, full release with him from start to finish. Right, so, right. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been great working with him. He's super responsive and like he understands what we're trying to do and uh he's very efficient, which I appreciate. A question that I written down for you guys to the to the point where I knew that one record and then you'd kind of pop up here and there at least in in my purview. I'm not indicating that sure. you weren't you guys weren't busy or anything <laughs> like that or those records yeah, weren't man. good, but I think uh it's like one of those things like when you're around for so long, like the people who are your colleagues in 2003 or 2005, like my colleagues from that point in time are all like fucking out of any sort of music scene. They're insurance salesmen listening to fucking Coldplay and that's their life. And that's cool. But it's like sure. it's like you kind of have to always be updating your Rolodex, so to speak. Did you guys have a difficulty doing that over the past 15, 20 years? Oh, Jesus Christ, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, when you're a lifer, it is, you, you definitely see, in this business especially, a lot of people come and go. Right. And obviously musicians, but a lot of like booking agents and publicists and just anyone involved in the music industry period, there's just so much turnover. And uh, I think there's a lot of burnout. People gotta realize there's no fucking money here. And uh, it's like, you really got to do it because you love doing it. And that's, that's it. So if you don't love it, you probably aren't going to last all that long. Right. Uh, so anyway, yes, the Rolodex has turned over multiple times in the past two decades. And, uh, you know, and it continues to do so, especially now after the pandemic, you know, a lot of uh, venues that were just a phone call away, like if I want to book, you know, a one week tour, I could usually do that in about 30 minutes, just make some quick phone calls to some like real t venues that we're real tight with, book a quick one week tour in like 30 minutes. That is that doesn't exist anymore. Sure. A lot of the booking agents and club owners a lot of the clubs have closed down. The booking agents, I don't even know where they are. They're probably insurance salesmen. They're probably <laughs> yeah. doing something lucrative. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, that's been my biggest headache. You know, working with a record label, that whole side of it, that piece of the pie is, like, figured out, and I'm happy. But as far as the performance side, which is, like, 99% of our revenue and just what we love doing is performing. So, uh, the whole booking thing has been a pain in the ass. Yeah. And we haven't quite been ready to, you know, jump back in the saddle, uh, just cause the Delta variant, we, well, we were going to, then the Delta variant crept up and it was just like, well, shit, 
I don't want to spend all this time and money and effort booking, promoting gigs if we're just going to have to cancel stuff sure. down the road. You know, just trying to learn from the past of 2020, uh, I decided, like, I'm not booking any tours until we're 100% sure that things are going to be open. Yeah. So uh, now we're kind of like, I don't know, like, I'm 90% sure things are going to be okay. So, like, we're starting to ease into the booking thing. So it, it uh, with our record coming out next week, you know, normally you would launch a tour on release date and just yeah. go. But that was, you know, that's not happening this time. We're releasing our record next week, and then, uh, like, our tour is really not happening till the spring. So Right. So you, <laughs> you and I are speaking, it's the 14th of October. The record is out the end of October, correct? Uh, yeah, the record comes out October 22nd. Okay. And I thought I saw that you had a couple of shows, at least one record release show you guys are playing in uh, Newport, yeah. Kentucky, right? Yeah, correct. When so is, we have that's uh, next month. So that's October twenty third. Oh, okay, at the Southgate House Revival. So that'll be that'll be killer. That's gonna be fun. And then we're doing a festival in uh, November, and uh, that's it on the calendar right now. I'm getting back into, like I said, trying to update the Rolodex and figure out who's booking now, what venues are you know, book is still open. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like microbreweries that are doing shows these days, and uh, that seems to be uh, they. A lot of these microbreweries seem to be putting some emphasis on live music. We and uh, they're difficult though. I I don't know some. Yeah, they're, I, it's a mixed bag. I feel some like some get it, some yeah. don't. <laughs> I I feel like, and this is kind of in the Venn diagram of shared experiences where 500 miles to Memphis and divided heaven while on paper or even, you know, together on a Spotify playlist, listeners may not think it makes sense or there's much crossover, but you guys are kind of banned. If, if you're going to play a brewery and they say, well, we'll pay you this and it's a handsome amount, but you need to play for three hours and you can take some breaks. Sure. Like you guys are able to do that. Like you guys have the ability to kind of put together like an evening, you know, because you have Oh, totally. That's yeah. like your and, thing. And we Yeah, well, I prefer not. I would rather just do our show, yeah. which, you know, our show is an hour and a half. Right. Sometimes you got to take the money and if they're like, "Yep, yeah, play for 3 hours." Like, oh, "Fuck it. All right. If you guys want to listen to us for 3 hours, we'll do it." We started, yeah, we started calling it Divided Heaven Boot Camp. And the first time we did it, we Whew. played in Redlands, California at a brewery and it was outside and it was 100 degrees. And there was no oh, no canopy or anything, but we were like, "Yeah. They're giving us free food and beer and a lot of money." Like just br- yeah, break out the sunscreen. We got to do it. Back to the label thing for a moment. Between sure. Deep Elm and now the paper and plastic home that you guys are at, which is fantastic, what was your experience doing the records yourselves? God, I can't say there was anything good about it, to be honest. <laughs> we'll dive in. I'm curious. Yeah. We just had no connections. You know, uh, we had zero distribution, um, zero financial help, zero publicity. I mean, nothing, nothing. Everything that we've done, we've done on our own, and we never had a budget to, you know, really promote a record the right way yeah. and, uh, you know, do any of that shit. So, like, 
we kind of like looked at records as like a way for us to stay on the road and stay touring uh, because we were doing, I mean, almost 300 shows a year for a decade. Yeah. And so we just lived on the road and we would jump in a studio, record a record and then go right back to the road. And that was really the only way people ever heard about us was just from playing constantly. When in 2007 with Deep Elm, they did so much for us, like with licensing and they had had an in-house publicist and like we, it was great. It like helped put us on the map and kind of, well, it it totally launched our career. Um, And then, you know, every record after that until, you know, the past couple, um, it was just like we released stuff and just you may have all been just blowing into a fan. I mean, it was just nothing. No one, no one heard about our records. I mean, there's a reason that you yourself said like, yeah, I remember you guys and this. And then it seemed like maybe you would pop up <laughs> and then everyone gets amnesia because yeah. we there's we had no publicity and no one knew we were doing anything, but it's funny because we were playing our asses off and just pounding the pavement and doing that whole thing. And we weren't real active on social media because I mean, shit, dude, I didn't really even have a phone. I didn't have a smartphone until like, God, 2015 yeah. maybe. So, I mean, we were just poor, dumb, drunk idiots. And, uh, you know, we just weren't smart businessmen. We just were musicians, and that that was it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised at the brutal honesty of that answer. So thank you for that. That that's really something. I think <laughs> I think it's hard for people on the outside to understand. It's like when you have a record like that, and we've been in that situation too, where it lives or dies by the amount of shows that you play during that album's cycle. So mm-hmm. the the only distribution you have is on the merch table, and that exactly. is it. And, you know, from because the, the record you guys did with Deep Elm was 2007. Right. Now you're in the paper and plastic world, which started in 2019. 2020s is mm-hmm. kind of a wash, right? But if you think about Ugh. how much has changed in terms of social media and all of the platforms that have come and gone since 2007, right? Oh, my God. And the, and yeah. the way in which the ones that have survived, like the Facebooks, how... Uh, helpful to unhelpful to monetized to even more unhelpful they have developed as uh, an actual service for artists that are our size it's a lot to try to cope with there's a lot of evolution there so if you're doing something that's completely DIY for that whole time like I mean I don't know man like I, I give you guys a lot of credit because there are so many bands that I remember that were not totally within the punk rock world, so they just didn't have that kind of scene to carry them. They were maybe a little bit more alternative or a little bit more rock or more Americana. But it's like they're kind of lost to the dustbin of history because they're, they, they're just in that, that dead zone of time between like 2006 to 2000. Yeah. It's like that time just to, because it's not cataloged on the Internet, I guess. It's almost as if it doesn't exist. That's kind of how I feel about... <laughs> you know, most of our releases as well. And, and, you know, like we, uh, I think could have easily fallen into that dustbin because we weren't really cataloged well, you know, digitally. 
And then in, uh, I don't know, maybe like 2017 or 18, we started taking the whole internet thing a little more seriously, which sounds yeah. fucking stupid because it's like <laughs> we're 20 years late on the on the whole social media thing. Uh, so we, we did, you know, raise some funds and, uh, we started taking social media seriously and started taking the publicity seriously, realizing that like, man, we can cast a much wider net by promoting a record rather than just playing 300 shows. You know, you got to increase your footprint somehow and, you know, playing the same venues 300 times a year, only gets you so far. And uh, we just kind of learned the hard way, which every lesson I've ever learned in my life has always been the hard way. And music is just one of those roads that's just, if you're going to go down this, it is not going to be easy. You know, it's it's funny you say that. I had a conversation with a friend of mine last week about that where we both uh, separately told our therapists that part of the reason why we feel the way that we do is because we feel like we don't have a choice. Like our creativity is our biggest asset and our biggest curse simultaneously. And if we don't pursue something creative, then we don't feel like ourselves, which is bad. Dude. But doing something creative yes. gets you to a point where you just, all you, it seems like sometimes all you do is hit dead ends, you hit roadblocks, you eat shit sandwiches but it's like you have no choice but to continue to do that, which is the the literal definition of insanity. Right. So, and I've been fascinated with this for many years, like the psychology of an artist, um, specifically a musician. Like, why, why do we do this? Why do we, you know, spend all this time creating music, performing it, doing the whole song and dance, well, I mean, no pun intended, but like doing, going through the whole process of like writing, recording, releasing, promoting, playing shows, knowing in the end that's like, all, it's nine times out of 10, it's just going to bring a lot of heartache and mm -hmm. a lot of pain and suffering. And like, I just don't, why? Why do we keep falling into these same you know, ruts of like just repetition. I'm, I'm on fucking record six at this point. This is the sixth album I've written and released. And it's the same thing. I already know what's going to happen. I, yeah. uh, you know, we're going to promote it and then we're going to start playing shows. And then like, uh, you know, after, after a year or so of playing, I'm going to get pissed off and be like, man, fuck it. I quit. No, I don't really quit. I'm going to go write another record. And like <laughs> it, this cycle starts over. Right. Right. Well, you've been so candid so far. You guys have always had a lot of band members. 500 Ooh. miles to Memphis. Yeah. You, you've had a lot of turnover over the years, which is fine. That That's going to happen in any band. But it always kind of seemed like it was mostly your baby, but there were a lot of people that were in the band at any time. Was it always worth it to involve that many people? Yeah. Yeah, I've, it's always been worth it. Like, it's not the Ryan Malott show. There has to be someone steering the ship, and that's me. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I do the bulk of the writing. You know, I do 100% of the managing and all of that. And, like, I want my bandmates to show up, be creative, perform, 
and not have to worry about all the bullshit and dealing with promotion and money and whatever. Um, so the bulk of our touring days, you're like, we're, we're a seven piece band now. Uh, yeah, but the bulk of our touring days, we toured as a three piece, uh, sometimes four piece. We would add the, uh, the steel lap steel. Um, but we had a ton of turnover in the beginning of the band, like, uh, 2003 to 2008 or nine. Um, yeah. But the members that have been in uh, that are currently in now have been in for at least ten years and have done a t- a lot of touring. Oh, wow. They've yeah. toured a lot. Um, so that would be Kevin Hogel on drums, Noah Sugarman on bass, Aaron Whalen on guitar, David Brown on lap steel. Uh, all four of those guys have been in for ten years or longer. Pro- oh no, I mean definitely over ten years. Um, and then, uh, Nate Hickey joined us about two years ago. Um, so he's the newest member. Um, but to answer your question, is it difficult involving that many people? Um, not really. I think it it should be difficult, but we have been friends for so long. Uh, there is a certain amount of, uh, respect given to each other. Um, so... If we clash on topics, uh, our creative outlets, or, or just like creative ideas, if we clash, uh, we kind of like know how to work around that. And you know, it, and like I said, for in the past decade or more that they've been involved in the band, like we fought maybe once, and it yeah. was just because we were all drugged up and drunk and stupid, and <laughs> like that's it. What can you say to the longevity of the band then? Mm, insanity. Just, I mean, we're <laughs> all just insane. Uh, I don't know, man. It's just, uh, it's so much fun. Like, it's just like, after all the thousands of shows that we've played, every single time I step on a stage with my dudes, I am in heaven. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a bar to 20 people or if it's a festival to 2,000. Like, I still get that same rush of endorphins. And it's, it's, uh, it's, I guess it's addictive, but really it's just the one time in my life where I feel like this is why I'm here. I'm happy, like genuinely happy. Uh, Not that other things don't bring me joy. I mean, I have a wife and kids and that, brings me a shitload of joy, but that is a totally different thing yeah. than the artistic itch that needs to be scratched. Um, so to the longevity of the band, I honestly don't know. I think I just don't know how to quit. And like, uh, I see a band like the drive by truckers and they've always inspired me because they have been around for so long and, and they're, they're good too. Um, but in the early stages of my band, the drive-by truckers had already been around for like 12 or 13 years. Sure, sure. And I remember thinking like, well, that's how you do it. You just stick with it and stick with it until eventually you've been around long enough that fucking everyone's heard of you and then you're good and you're golden. You're good to go. So that's kind of been my take on how the music business works for independent artists. I feel like the longer you can tolerate it and pound the pavement, the better your odds are. Yeah. 
Maybe. I mean, shit, I don't know. I, I'm certainly no expert, but I, 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 it's been, it's been long enough at this point that there's, why would I stop? Uh, you know, cause yeah, well, what- me and my bandmates all love each other. We're uh, I, personally, I think we're making the best music of our careers now than we ever have. And things keep improving. So, you know, as long as we're not stagnating, it's like, well, I don't know, man, we'll just keep going until I, we'll, we'll know when to stop when the time's right to stop. I think we'll know. Cincinnati is kind of one of my blind spots. Yeah, I've, I've just been through it. We've never played there. I've never played there in any of my bands. I don't know why. You would uh, kill here. You and, and would same, fucking kill here. And same with Newport. You know, any anything else? We never yeah. played Kentucky. Considering you guys are based there, um, and I I checked earlier, you are uh, logistically approximately five hundred miles from Memphis, Tennessee to Cincinnati. So. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not just a clever name, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, w- what were some of the markets that you guys have had really good footholds over the past two decades that, uh, that people might know, or even even some places where people might not know? B and C markets: Charlotte, North Carolina, um, Dallas, Texas, Knoxville, Dayton, Lexington, uh, Louisville. Oddly enough, like as close as it is to us, is a weird scene and sure. uh, we can't seem to get a foothold there uh minneapolis has always been good um trying to think milwaukee uh chicago yeah. chicago's been hit and miss there have been times in chicago where we've had killer turnouts and then times where we've played to the bartender um uh freeport illinois that that's one of your really like weird ones <laughs> nice. uh well our our guitar player is from freeport illinois okay. And we were touring through and, uh, you know, back in the day and he hit us up cause he had a band, uh, called six nights alone and we were hooking up some tours together and just doing some Midwest runs. And, uh, he ended up booking us this bowling alley in Freeport and it was like, it was awesome. It's packed. <laughs> it was a blast. They paid like an insane amount of money and we didn't have to play for three hours. It was a, this is a normal <laughs> rock show, you know, like yeah. each band played about an hour. So yeah, Freeport, Rockford, uh, Rockford, Illinois, actually Rockford sure. and Freeport are, are, are like, uh, 45 minutes from each other. I think Indianapolis has been another hit or miss one. Yeah. Th- those are, those are definitely the ones that are coming to mind that are the best. You didn't mention anything on either coast, which was kind of the point of me asking. I, hmm. I always kind of no. felt like you guys were... We're a Midwest band, dude. A like, middle America band. Yeah. yeah. Is that a safe thing to say? Totally. Uh, we never did any good uh, in New York and, you know, up and down the coast of California. There have been some shows. San Francisco was okay. Yeah. Both coasts. Yeah, just that. It hasn't hit fucking Florida Florida hasn't hit. I mean, I, I don't know what I I do not know. Birmingham, Alabama. There's another one. That's a good city for us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I love I love asking bands that. Like we had a, a stretch of good years where like Las Cruces and Tucson and yeah. Oklahoma City and Oklahoma City's another one, man. I love yeah. that town. Uh Washington DC or That's a um, good one. Yeah. Well, what can you tell me about Hard to Love? Uh I recorded it in this room. Uh, yeah, during the pandemic, my guitarist moved to Seattle. Uh, so we would meet, you know, Wednesday nights through Skype and just 
We'd write. Uh, my bassist lives in Milwaukee. Uh, I would get together with him Thursday nights, and we would write. And, uh, yeah, we just kind of, uh, I don't know, just kind of came together through not necessity, but it was just more like we don't have anything else going on. We're not doing any shows. So we started writing, and uh, we just figured, like, because we had just released Blessed Be the Damned in 2019, and we still needed to promote that record, and we still, you know, are in debt from that record and need to pay it off. So we lost an entire year, well, shit, almost two years at this point of touring mm-hmm. uh, off of that record to pay it back. So the, we saw the only way out of this, uh, let's just write and record another record. So we kind of just started slow. And before you knew it, we had half a record written and we decided like, shit, let's just finish this out. Like, let's just record it at my house because uh, it sounds pretty good. Um, so I invested a little bit of money into my, uh, home studio and just to like get, you know, good sounds. And that was it, man. Like instead of, uh, you know, coming up with a budget to actually go to a studio and record a record like we normally do, uh, we just spent maybe a 10th of that on gear for my house and made it here. And I think I'm not knocking our old records because we've worked with some great producers and engineers. But I think this is the best sounding record we've done. It's raw, it's uh, more aggressive. It's the guitar tones are where I want them, which has always been a point of contention in the past with some of our engineers. Uh, just getting the guitar tone that I want. So yeah, just having complete control over everything from start to finish has been really nice. And everyone in the band has gotten to have an input because like I'll mix everything, get it sent out. And it's like everyone wants, obviously, more of their self. And, uh, yeah, it's been a very collaborative process uh, from, you know, everything <laughs> yeah, from... With the, seven <laughs> people. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Get dude. The fuck out. Oh, my Right. Goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, hell yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I can't wait to hear this record, and I'm glad that there's, there's some light, you know? Yeah, there's some light. There you have my conversation with Ryan from 500 Miles to Memphis. Be sure to check out their new music. Be sure to follow them on Spotify and all the social media platforms that you like to use. If I may also ask, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast. It is so incredibly helpful. And thanks again to our lovely sponsors, New Wave, Flow State Coffee. Go to newwave.co slash Berman. Again, newwave.co slash Berman. Save yourself 10%. Helps you, helps them, and it helps me. Let's get it. See you next week.